This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people asked me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's a, another film study. It's the Know Your Foe edition. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? 
I'm doing good. I'm ready for Monday night football. That's a little closer to normal. It's better than Wednesday and Tuesday, and eventually we'll be back on Sundays. This is a very weird stretch for the Ravens, obviously, with all the COVID problems and then playing on all these consecutive six-day weeks. Nothing the Ravens should complain about, you know, any more than the other teams who had to adjust their schedule as well. But, uh, but you know, certainly a, a very tough stretch for the, uh, for the Ravens here. Right. And Ravens fans won't, won't feel for the other teams. It'll still always be centralized focused and doesn't matter what happens to the Steelers. Let's complain about the Ravens. Situation. You know, I think, I think the Steelers have demonstrated this year, their ability to whine might be even greater than Ravens fans. Just, uh, from what we've seen. <laughs> I think, I think they, at least on Twitter, they've got the dominance. Uh, and I'm sure that Jake will agree with us. Jake is joining us, not from state farm, but from the orange and Brown report. And uh, Jake, I don't know if we're supposed to thank you for a team or you're supposed to thank us for a team because this year the Browns aren't the Browns you grew up with. Yeah, no, it's it's been a – listen, I was born in 89. Uh, the last time they were mm-hmm. relatively serious competitors was the early 90s uh, as, as Bill Belichick's era winded down. And they've had a couple flash in the pans. Uh, they've had the 03 playoff run, the 2007 uh, playoff run and then or well close to a playoff run 14 they were competitive at seven and four but other than that it's been it's been very hit or miss more miss than anything else so um you know hopefully hopefully we can we can see the browns figure this thing out yeah so uh, long run for the browns we have a lot to talk to you about tonight jake you come highly recommended from other browns twitter gurus uh and we want to talk to you about a, a, a lot of things about the Browns franchise, which now seems to have found their way in a lot of ways. But let's start with a, a review of the season to date and some of the biggest moments that have led us to this point. Maybe if you want to take us through, you know, what were the turning points for the 2020 Browns? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question because it's been a it's been a mixed bag of up and down. You obviously saw us week one when when Cleveland was inheriting so many new things. Uh, not just a front office, but an offensive line, or sorry, an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, all of it. And they certainly look like a group who'd just gotten to meet each other in person for the first time in, in uh, you know, two two weeks, three weeks before that. And the Baltimore Ravens certainly were the better football team and, 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 and displayed it. And we'll talk about that week one game later. But, you know, the, the, the thing that grew from there was, you know, a, a group of guys who started to slowly come together. They started to believe with wins over Washington, Dallas. Uh, they've had moments where, uh, they they've certainly had humbled situations where I think Pittsburgh was another team that really humbled them as far as a team that was undefeated when they came in, a team that's given them trouble over the years. And uh, after that game, I think there was a, so- a fork in the road uh, toward their bye week. They were beat up a little bit. Wyatt Teller was hurt. Nick Chubb was hurt. Uh, they lost that game to Las Vegas before the bye week. And it was kind of like, how do they come out of the bye? They came out of the bye as, as, as red hot as they could possibly be. And one game's over Philly, one game's over Houston, uh, one game's in nasty weather throughout, and uh, a big comeback against uh, Cincinnati. And they've just started to believe. you got a group of guys who have not really won at the NFL level before, and you start to see them, and they've talked about this through player interviews and different things, is they start to see what it's like to actually win, the little things it takes to actually win. And it's starting to sort of accumulate into... Uh, guys that are you're finally believing. You've always thought the Browns had a ton of individual talent. Kevin Stefanski's done a nice job finally uh, uniting that group in terms of teaching them what it takes to win and the collective whole group approach to actually winning football games. So it's been a welcome sight uh, for, from a from a whole group perspective. 
and and it's been a trickle down from a coach who actually has guys on his staff believing in his message, and uh, it's been a nice trickle down effect. So um, yeah, that's kind of where they're at. They they've won some games that we typically in Brown seasons would have seen them lose, and and from that they've built it up to to this nine and three record we see today. So a lot of internal players. Uh, I'm trying to think of who on the Browns has, for example, playoff experience at all on this roster. Is there anybody among the acquired players who's been to the mountain before? Adrian Claiborne's been around. He's been around the league for a while, the veteran defensive end they signed. Um, Sheldon Richardson had a flash in the playoffs uh, with Seattle uh, when his one-year contract there. Uh, Malcolm Smith obviously was a Super Bowl MVP. They brought Malcolm Smith in at linebacker before this season. He's been around some really good football teams. Uh, but, but you know, other than those guys, I mean, Austin Hooper's been around good football, obviously went to the Super Bowl his rookie year, was a part of that 28-3 loss. Um, but, but Jack Conklin, I would say, too, obviously Jack Conklin, they signed their right tackle now. They inherited from Tennessee. Uh, they, he's been around winning football. So they've brought in some pieces, but collectively out of, outside of maybe, you know, five, five to seven guys, it's not a group that's won at the NFL level. So they've relied on some of those veteran presences, and they've done a nice job of getting – some guys who have some of that experience, so uh, it's helped to it's helped to spread to some of those younger guys. And they've, they've done a nice job drafting people that have won at the college level, too. That's been very important. Andrew Barry's talked about it, too, so uh, a lot of drafting those guys, which is important, guys who know how to win, so that's where they're at. Why don't you talk about the draft uh, the last year or two? Or the last year, most importantly, because I think that Ravens fans are not as familiar with that. And then I always like to talk about the developmental players as well, but let's talk about the draft first. And how did this last one work out? Uh, it's it's been it's up and down. I think most teams would probably say their drafts are up and down. But they have had Jedrick Wills, who's the starting left tackle throughout the entire season, has done fairly fairly well. I could, I could probably remove the word fairly. He's done really well as pass protecting left tackle, a guy who played at Alabama uh, as a, con, uh, a strictly right tackle, high school strictly right tackle, had a big conversion project going to left tackle where he never played before. Uh, obviously has no training or sorry lead up to training camp so he's come together nicely a little bit uh intermittent struggles and run game stuff but that'll come along for a guy like him who's a who's a mauling type so he's been a really nice addition to the offensive line obviously it's been pretty well known how well the browns offensive line has played this year so jed's been nice they lost grant delp at the lsu safety they, they mm-hmm. took in the second round uh, has really hurt them has forced them to play a guy named andrew sandejo who's a veteran of the nfl but a guy who's been passed around for good reason just not always the most fleet of foot not always where he needs to be when he's supposed to be there but so Grant Delpa tears his Achilles before the season it was a big blow to the Browns secondary uh, they did take a nice young player Jordan Elliott uh, as a defensive tackle who's, who's seen some rotational snaps it's been an uptick for him of late uh, they they took him in the third round took a kid named Jacob Phillips the linebacker who played next to Patrick Queen at LSU uh, was was the uh, was the will backer uh, there for LSU? Actually, he might have been their Mike a little bit more. So he he played obviously those two played hand in hand at LSU. He has not seen a ton of time because he's been injured, a couple knee issues that have cropped up at different parts of the year. But their biggest hit has been their fourth round pick Harrison Bryant, their tight end from Florida Atlantic, who's been mm-hmm. a very nice addition for them. Browns and I'll, we'll talk about this later. Do do a do a, an abundance of thirteen personnel put a ton of tight ends on the field, and he's done a nice job for them this year. So that's the group. The group the year before was was hampered uh, the 2019 draft because of the Odell Beckham trade, so they did not have a first-round pick. Greedy Williams was their second-round uh, second pick that year, uh, who is um, – Greedy has been out all of 2020 after playing, starting the majority of the year across from Denzel in 2019. Uh, big expectations for him in 2020, but has had a nerve issue in his shoulder from training camp that is – 
put him on the IR for the entire season. There's a little bit of concern around Brown circles about maybe he's his football career is threatened over this whole thing. It's it's ugly, so hopefully, fingers crossed, he comes out of it. But otherwise, a couple linebackers have been nice hits for them. Sione Takitaki's a Sam. He mm-hmm. plays about 20 snaps a game. Nice run game defender. Terrible pass game defender right now. Uh, Mac Wilson has played a good amount of snaps for them uh, as well. Uh, Mac is a, a late-round pick out of Alabama who who's good, some good, some bad, more bad than good. He's coming along. He's a thumper, likes to talk on social media. But the 2019 draft's not one that the Browns will certainly write home about anytime soon. But but some players that will be a part of this thing for a little bit moving forward in the future. But, yeah, they're, they're developmental guys. Uh, Andrew Barry's first draft, a lot of people feel pretty positive about Andrew Barry's first 2020 draft with who they've been able to take. Okay, so a lot of the – general manager decisions for for young talent come between that third and fourth season. It's who, and the Browns are in in decent cap shape, kind of like the Ravens for next year, uh, is in their third season that they can sign early to a long-term deal, and who's in their fourth season that they really need to prioritize in terms of getting signed as opposed to letting them walk in free agency. Miles Garrett's already been taken care of. He's in year four, and he'll be a Brown for six more seasons, as I recall. Kareem Hunt... uh, where where does he stand contract wise? Is he signed now long term? Yeah, they signed him to a pretty team friendly deal. Uh, they took advantage of obviously his situation uh, when he came back last year. They they did a nice job of kind of meeting him with an incentive based deal that keeps him um, around on a really really for for what he is as a football. If you can remove the personal situation that happened to him, some people can. I completely understand that. Uh, there was a part in which Kareem was trying to secure his long term future. The Browns said, "Hey, we'll pay you this." Uh, reduced rate, and they, they came to an agreement. So he, he's going to be around for the next three, four years. Okay, David Njoku, uh, a guy who's seen reduced playing time, reduced targets certainly the last couple of years, despite the fact the Browns use a lot of tight ends. In his fourth year, the Browns going to keep him? It's up in the air. They, they did pick up his fifth-year option, but there is some feeling uh, before the season there were a lot of uh, trade requests. He's he's a, a Rosenhaus guy, so he, he was a trade request player who – uh, was certainly looking to find his way out into a place he could put up higher volume of statistics, ended up sticking around. They just said, we're going to keep you, man. They may look to move him in the offseason because he is of value for teams that want a guy who can get out in space and guys athletic, great tight end body. I don't think he gets a second contract in Cleveland, but he has, like I said, the fifth-year option picked up. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk That's about That's what, nine, ten, $9, $10 million for Njoku it, for, it, ne- it, for next it, year? It is. It's going to be... It's going to be a healthy tag. It's, I mean, it's going to be a it's going to be a decent number for a guy who has not produced much statistically, and he's really not necessarily known as being a blocking tight end either. So they got to make a decision there. So, using your amateur GM position here, this is a COVID year with a lot of teams with very restricted cap amounts. It'll be a buyer's market in terms of free agents out there. I think you know this is the worst year that Belichick for engineer all these COVID opt outs that are going to leave him with a lot of money. Uh, but I just think they'll pick the bones. What The teams that have money will pick the bones and, and get the the highest quality free agents they want. A player like Njoku, I don't see a home for him at that kind of price tag. They may try and trade him. I just don't see a home for him. Yeah, they, they, they're, they're going to have some tough decisions to make because they have a loaded wide receiver room in terms of value of contract with Jarvis and Odell reaching the type of, of, of situation where the, the dead cap won't hurt the team as much, but if they carry them into the season, they will have to pay them. They're talking to, the, the news came out this week about Rashard Higgins, their third receiver that they really like uh, and has a great chemistry with Baker Mayfield. They're talking about trying to figure out a way to sign him long-term. So, yeah, you're right. There is a level of which they're going to have to consider, hey, we might have to, uh, we might have to consider 
cutting some fat at the tight end position, and maybe that involves drafting another later round one. Yeah, I, I certainly think David will be a, a name that gets thrown around in the offseason as somebody that they can move. Just to be clear here, and Joku's contract is guaranteed now for that fifth season, right? If they picked up the option, they can't. It's right. not a non-guaranteed option that they picked up. Correct. Yeah, he is. He's locked okay. into a fifth year unless they move him. Okay, fair enough. Larry Ogunjobi also in his fifth year. It, what we really noticed, Larry Ogunjobi in Week One in the game against the Ravens. I looked at some of the PFF scoring since. Does not look like he's been all that good since. No, very inconsistent. A guy who will pop one game. That game he had against you guys week one, very similar to a 2018 game he had against uh, New Orleans in New Orleans where he had a couple big plays in the backfield. He's like that. He's a guy who you'll see five or six snaps and be like, this guy is a Pro Bowl talent. And then you'll just see him sort of, um, you know, just see him sort of having these situations where he disappears. He, he's easily manipulated off the line of scrimmage. He does not sink, handle, split, double teams the way you would love your shade mm-hmm. to, to be able to do and run game stuff. He just creates big voids, doesn't, doesn't handle his run fit. And he's not a consistent pass rusher that they would like to. So I don't know if there's a happy medium. They have a guy named Andrew Billings who they got from Cincinnati in the COVID list who they know will be back next year. They really like Sheldon Richardson and what he's given them in that veteran contract who has one more year next year. So it is very up in the air. And I would lean toward a no on Larry Ogunjobi getting another year in Cleveland. Okay, and then fair enough. And then the third-year players really deserve to be considered because this is a year where you could maybe get a real bargain on a third-year player. Unfortunately, the third-year players for the Browns don't look like they're going to be bargains. Nick Chubb, uh, probably going to get a huge contract, but he probably will have to wait for it is my guess. What do you think? Listen, you want to talk about something people spend way too much time talking about. This is something that that, that is a constant topic in Brown circles is how do they handle Nick Chubb? Listen, I'm of the belief that the Browns are centered around running the football with two really good running backs, and you find a way to make it work for this young man. Between him and Kareem, if your offense is going to be spearheaded uh, by, by the, necess- the necessity to, to run the football at a consistent level, they need to pay him and they need to find a way. They could try to keep it. They, I, I, it gets weird. They would have loved to have taken him in the first round, which they did not take him in the first round. Um, you know, They took him in the second pick of the second round. So they don't have that fifth-year option you would love to have on a running back. So I think there's going to have to be some discussion between the team and this coming offseason about keeping him. I'm of the belief you keep him because I think he's that. He's one of the top three impactful running backs across the entire NFL. So I'm of the belief you try to keep him. But but there are certainly capologists and people who talk about running back decline that I understand the other side of the argument too. You never to, you never give a never give a uh, just to take the other side of this argument. Never give a running back a second contract would be very responsible general managing. I, I, I wouldn't want to throw a cap over it in either direction, you know, a blanket over it in either direction and say you always make the decision one way, you always make the decision the other. But uh, Chubb's a very talented back. I, I, you know, Henry is giving, a, giving the Titans a good first year of a second contract right now. But boy, I don't know. It's, it's expensive. It's extremely expensive, and it's a risk because the decline sometimes blindsides you. And Nick has had knee mm-hmm. issues. He had a knee issue at Georgia where he tore his ACL, and he certainly had a sprained MCL this year that a lot of people felt very fortunate that he didn't tear that other ACL. So you are running a risk, but uh, with the wide zone stuff that they like to do, I just it's trending toward the same Dalvin Cook, uh, you know, the same the same Derrick Henry type of second contract where they, they just view him as so important to the basis of the offense that they might try to figure out a way to keep him around. Well, fair enough. Denzel Ward uh, probably has already had his fifth-year option picked up as a number four overall pick, I'm guessing, correct? Yeah, well, no, they those him and Baker are coming up this offseason. They have that decision Oh, I'm sorry, up. you're right. 
Um, so, yeah. so more likely they would they would fifth year option Denzel Ward maybe sign him, but Baker, the fifth year option is not of great value. So, like the Ravens, they may be in a position where they really need to make the long term commitment to Baker after the season. So, so good questions. Obviously, I think Denzel is proven enough to be an important part of this thing that they would sign him at the minimum, keep him for the fifth year option and work out a deal. I see Denzel obviously getting a second contract. Baker's situation has been. Um, up and down. It's been a roller coaster of he's great, he's bad, he's he's in, there's no in between. He's his rookie year obviously plays very well, and you can see it trending toward if he has a great second season, maybe you get that early second season um, extension like you saw out of Carson Wentz type of thing. Uh, but 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 it just it was a terrible second season. The coaching fit wasn't right. Baker was making bad decisions. You go into this year, it's a new the t- the thing that was so challenging for Baker's evaluation is you reset him three times. You're resetting him a third time. You're giving him a fourth head coach. You're giving him his third offensive system. So you really want to evaluate the kid. But then you say, we have to make a decision in 16 games over whether we think this guy is going to be the long-term answer at quarterback. And it's challenging because you do want to give him some time to learn the system, to get a mesh understanding with his play caller, figuring out what he doesn't like, what he does like, all that stuff. So as the season started, he plays poorly in Baltimore. He has has a really an ugly start and then all of a sudden week seven he he loses Odell Beckham and he takes off he's been the highest graded pro football focused quarterback since that first quarter in Cincinnati so now people are like well what do they do so it's trending toward maybe you have my opinion on the whole thing is 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 you you somehow find a deal that benefits both sides where Baker can say hey I get a second contract that has this amount of guaranteed dollars early and I have incentives down the line maybe similar to Jimmy Garoppolo where the Browns can protect themselves and have a way out of that contract after a third a second or third year which gives which gives Baker a year past his fifth year option um, type of thing where, where Baker sees an incentive to agree the Browns see an incentive to agree uh, because the fifth year number is going to be high if he takes that the, the Browns are going to understand that that's going to be a pretty high number so I think that it's trending toward the way he's been playing lately now. If he stinks uh, stinks it up against Baltimore this Monday, if he stinks it up in New York the following Sunday night in prime time, and if they make the playoffs and he struggles in prime time there, we might you might catch me in January and we have a different discussion. But for now, he's trending toward another contract, and uh, the structure of what that contract looks like is what is going to be the most important thing for the Browns' flexibility in the future because he's certainly not proven like Lamar, certainly not proven like Mahomes and, and Watson and all those guys who have locked up a cap percentage. So they have to figure out a way that is still keeping the Browns protected but also giving Baker some belief that they think he's found something here with Stefanski. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, it's a very difficult line to tread because the quarterback almost always has the extra hand. And no matter what you think of Baker Mayfield, his play – this year has been good enough to put him in the top dozen or so quarterbacks at the very least in the NFL. And he's just in an excellent bargaining position. This is, you know, he's, he's even with the low total cap dollars across the NFL, he's in a position to, uh, to have an advantage. Before we go into the next section, I want to talk about the offense, but we have a reader to do. Josh, tell us about my bookie. All right. My bookie. Um, we've been talking about this constantly you guys hear us talking about it all the time about how they're giving away free rolls and a bunch of stuff for thanksgiving cyber monday they got more stuff coming up for christmas so whether you're going to bet on the nfl ncaa college ball college hoops whatever your preference you want to do it with a reputable brand like my bookie make your deposit using the promo code ravens and they'll match you halfway to give you a head start on building your bankroll put in two hundred dollars and they give you an extra $100 to play with. 
Joining and depositing is a simple process and it's quick, but more importantly, when it's time to get paid, that's quick too. So treat yourself to some extra cash in your holiday, in your pocket this holiday season by investing in your intuition. And like we said uh, earlier this week, the line is two points for Ravens-Browns this weekend. Or I guess that would be the spread is two points. Yeah, a little bit of a surprising so, line, but we can encourage the Browns fans out there who are listening to Jake talk about their team to go out there and use that code. We, we appreciate it, if, certainly, if you do. And uh, uh, you guys get $500. We're happy to see you get it if you, if you put up 1000 bucks. So uh, hopefully we'll get a few Browns fans in this. Are you at all surprised about the line for this game, Jake? Uh, a two-point Ravens favorite? It, it, it really has me a little surprised. Yeah, I thought I thought it might be it might be tilted towards a pick'em because of the situation going on with Baltimore kind of getting healthy, everything going on surrounding the three games and what is it, thirteen days? There's a lot of disadvantage going on for Baltimore through this the tough time that they dealt with. They're coming to Cleveland. Uh, there will be some fans in the stadium, so it won't be obviously full pack, but it will be some sort of minor home field advantage. So yeah, I was a little surprised, and it tells me too that Vegas still doesn't totally buy Cleveland yet. So. Um, but yeah, I, I, it could be something they're posting on the bulletin board in, in, in the locker room too. So the underdog mentality thing. Yeah, it's, it's the, it's the betting public who doesn't really buy the Browns, unfortunately. And you know what this means obviously is the, the betting, the, the betting public does not even determine it by their count of individuals. It's not a popular vote. It's a vote by dollars. And so the, the, you know, the smart money is offsetting that. And that's, that's, you know, that's what the smart money believes about this game effectively is that the, the Ravens are a little better. I don't honestly buy it. I think, I think this is a dead even pick them, maybe even a, something where the Browns ought to be very slightly favored. Uh, you certainly are going to be the fresher team coming into this game. I think they're, they're very motivated to win this game as a longstanding grudge match. The Ravens need it more than the Browns do in terms of a desperation for 2020. Well, look, I, I, I think that that is always something for fans. I, I don't know. They've shuffled so many people in and out of that building. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a hatred for the Ravens. I personally, when I've been up there and I've talked to the guy, it's an utter it's a respect for the Ravens. They've seen what they've done. But I think that what it boils down to for Cleveland is they want some respect on their side. They want people to believe that they can beat the Tennessees, the Baltimores, the Pittsburghs of the world. And I think that the biggest motivating, and you know, this is a motivation business, as you guys know. It, it, it largely is which team shows up with the most desire to get it done. And a large part of what Cleveland is is the public doubting them and all of that that swung from 2019 to 2020, and now they want to prove that they can hang. So they have every opportunity, but, you know, you got to put your money where your mouth is sometimes. All right, let's move on and talk about the offense a little bit. Uh, Mayfield, talk about him in terms of strengths, weaknesses, uh, you know, how he fits in with his offense. Well, listen, you saw it week one when this is my opinion of the game and how it swings. If you can put Baker Mayfield in neutral situations where the Browns play action can be an effective part of what they do, he's good. He's, he's, He's able to find one read to two reads pretty quickly. And if he's protected like he's been protected over the last six, seven weeks, he's a very good quarterback. And I would go so far as to say if Mayfield is protected and he has a clear idea and a clear path to his first or immediate same side second read, he's as good as, as there is in the league. I, I think he rips it. He's got a very live arm. He has a, a belief in where he needs to put it. I think all of that is true. Where Baker struggles, what Baltimore will try to do to him is there's two things. He struggles when teams change the picture pre-snap to post-snap. They give him a one, a single high look, a closed safety look, open it up, or they do a variation of a man look and change it to zone and vice versa. If you change it on him, change the picture, you drop Calais Campbell to the backside 
uh, hook zone like they did week one. He's going to tip a pass. Yep. That stuff is very real for Baker. He struggles with that. Now he's gotten a little better, uh, but he, he he handled what Tennessee did well. But Tennessee didn't pressure him. So if you pressure Baker, it's it's been a terrible outcome for Cleveland. Whenever he is immensely pressured, I believe his grade in pro football-focused data tracking, which I really buy their quarterback tracking, seeing it up close, it's under 30. It's not good. And I know that most quarterbacks drop off, but if you can get pressure on Mayfield, make him feel condensed in the pocket, make him feel threatened, and change the coverage behind what you're doing up front, you're gonna have he's gonna have fits. And when you put him in predictable pass situations, again, I refer back to week one, Baltimore jumps out, that's where he struggles. Yeah. So two things about that week one game. First of all, uh, I agree completely with you in terms of what you're seeing. You specifically are mentioning Calais Campbell, but the Ravens are most effective. And I think the Browns also have trouble. Mayfield has trouble when they move a a player laterally that will close a window on a crossing receiver. And and that just, there's so many, so much effect you can get of it, but that's a big interception creator in the NFL. And Campbell, he was pissed off. He thought he missed the interception, was hammering the ground. And, and of course, behind him, Humphrey had picked it up. Mm-hmm. The other thing for that week one game is it was a weird, bizarro, complete bizarro game, 38 to six. And yet the Browns dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage in that game. They dominated uh, on the defensive side, getting really good pressure on Jackson. Jackson had ample time and space, which is a three-second pocket. As I measure it, only four out of 27 dropbacks, 15%. And yet he threw for a 152 passer rating. Sometimes he's just like that. He's just remarkable in terms of, of what he does. On the other side of the ball, Baker had all kinds of time to throw and threw for 4.1 yards per throw in that game. Completely unacceptable if I'm a Browns fan. Yeah, it was frustrating to watch, and it, it again boiled down to when when he struggles. Now, there's there's a belief that this is the tide is changing for him. That when you put him in predictable passing situations, his third and seven plus data has really improved. His ability to feel like his line is now protecting him. He's he's got a little back of the mind mental thing. If he doesn't trust what's going on in front of him up front, he'll he'll have that panic nature where his feet start shuffling, his eyes drop. He'll bail out of the pocket unnecessarily, create his own pressure. He's done that, but it has, I will be honest, it has gotten better. We'll see if that maintains when maybe the Ravens are up 14-3 and they know that on second and five he has to throw. Some of those things are what he has to prove. He can handle those situations. Yeah, I love the Chris Collinsworth term for what you're describing, creating his own pressure, throwing fadeaway jumpers. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of his passes end up looking like that when he's when he's not going right. Let's let's move on a little bit. Turk, talk about the current state of the offensive line. Obviously, the strength of the Cleveland Browns, but go left to right and, and tell us about each of these five guys. Yeah, I touched on Jed a little bit there when we talked about the rookie class. He's their left tackle, very good pass protector. I'm talking as smooth a pass set kid as you'll find for a young age and transitioning to the other side of the football. Really, really good, very comfortable. Not a great run blocker, has to play through the whistle, will sometimes helmet cam it on the backside of zone stuff, which gets a little frustrating. He'll get there. They believe in him. Bill Callahan's as good as it gets as an offensive line coach. They're getting there. The left guard, Joel Batonio, all-pro player, uh, traditionally a Pro Bowl player, will be in the Pro Bowl. Very good. You've seen Joel. I mean, he's the longest tenured Browns player since 2014. Just very solid in both phases. Uh, their center, J.C. Treader, has been a great, has not missed a single start since his arrival in 2017. Consistent football player, big-time protection call-out guy, tons of communication. NFLPA president, very smart guy, very good football player, consistent for them. The right guard has been Wyatt Teller, who has played as good a graded tracking season as any offensive lineman uh, up to this point. He missed a, a stretch of the uh, middle portion of the year with a strained calf. 
uh, which I think has impacted him because if you know anything about a strained calf, those things linger, and, and it really is a fire pressure off your calf. You have to really you have to get that thing right. I hope he didn't rush it because he has not been quite as good since he came back, but still a very good football player. The Browns traded for him ahead of the 2019 season for the seventh-round pick. Worked out very well for them, obviously. He's yep. done a nice job coming along in this year's scheme. And then the right tackles, Jack Conklin, one of the best zone-blocking uh, tackles in the NFL and has done a really nice job. Uh, building himself up on a right side pass protection role has done a lot of work with Joe Thomas, which has helped him. He's kind of re he's he's rechanged his base, his setup, and it's paid off. And he's been a great investment for them. So as far as a collective five offensive lineman, it's very good guys. Yeah, it's a it, multiple things to say about this. So obviously, from a run perspective, and we're going to talk about the tight ends in a, in a little bit. They just pre- obviously present a, a, a ridiculously powerful run group as a pass blocking unit they might even be better but i think the ravens are a team that can possibly generate scheme by use by, by pressure by using scheme uh you know lots of stunts even though you know, it's not necessarily a a weakness mayfield is not a very fast deliverer of, of, of the football so there is time to stunt yeah and I, I think they've done a nice job of handling twists and texts and some of those things that you see the tex stuff the teams traditionally try to do I don't see them miss many of them, but if teams do simulated pressures, I think that confuses the quarterback sometimes. And when Baker has had to throw hot off of a side where he knows he has an unblocked defender, uh, that has given them some struggles. Uh, he's had, I think, six intentional grounding penalties where he has not been able to handle. It's been frustrating, trust me. Yeah, he has not been able to handle. And sometimes it's he's coming off of a boot fake and he has a guy land in his lap on a backside end stays home and he just throws it to nobody. Listen, I've pounded my head on my desk. I can't figure it out. But, yeah, so if you can confuse, not even confuse, but manipulate pressure to the point that you can, you know that they're going to slide, they're going to Roger, they're going to Louie and bring a guy free and make Mayfield do exactly what you just said and throw hot, show me you can throw hot to the right place at the right time, I think that'll be a huge part of what they try to do on Monday night. Make Baker make decisions. That's what you want to do. You know what they're going to do protection-wise. Make Baker show he can make those decisions in the heat of the moment, the split-second type of stuff. That's what I'd be doing. Okay, just in the last game, to give you an idea, 49 passes. And they, they, didn't, they didn't go crazy with the scheme, but I just want to give you some numbers for Martindale. 12 simulated pressures. Those are two-plus man drops from the line of scrimmage. 11 off-ball blitzes. And I don't even count when a slot corner declares himself pre-snap. I don't count that in that group. And... 10, 10 or 11 stunts. So they use a lot and they're, and they're happy to use it when they think it can be effective. So it's, uh, he's, he's one of the guys who will really grease it up on Mayfield and try and make him feel uncomfortable inside that pocket. And we'll talk too, like when we get to the tight ends, what, what Cleveland does, and it's, it's when Kevin Stefanski arrived, he talked about this. He said, we like to play tight ends because we like to get teams out of the situations that they practice those crazy pressures from. Nickel, dime, those crazy looks that they know teams can do exotic pressures from. So what mm-hmm. the Browns did last week, a little nugget for you, they started in 13 personnel under center and moved from a pre-snap shift to the gun with 3 by one or 2 by 2 with those three tight ends seven times. They started under center. Um, sorry, the counter of that started in the gun and moved under center with that grouping mm-hmm. four times. So they are trying to play the chess match game where we want you to be in base as often as possible, eliminate right. some of those crazy blitzes you have typically planned out, and make it so that you just have to, to be vanilla. We want you to be vanilla, and we'll beat you with guys who we think David Njoku, we think Austin Hooper, we think Harrison Bryant can play wide receiver positions, and we'll be just fine. So that that chess match will be fun to watch. 
That's very much the the opposite of the typical offensive coordinator in the NFL, who most of them want to force the nickel by putting three wide receivers on the field, the Browns. And and what Jake is telling us is they like to put 12 and 13 personnel on the field to force you into your base defense. That's something I really thought of Cleveland earlier in the week one game. The Ravens played 20 snaps of base defense in that game was the most for most of the year. And then they played 34 against New England, 37 against the Titans uh, to, to really, you know, show just how much they have to play. You have to have a good offensive line with 12 personnel to get the Ravens out of nickel. You really do, because uh, the Ravens will play a version of big nickel that they have to try and uh, stick with the nickel, even in that. And Houston, for example, was a team that the Ravens are happy to put that third safety on the field rather than put a third lineman on the field uh, because they thought they could still handle the the offensive line that the Texans had. Yeah, it's it's what... What the, when they lost Odell, they completely changed how they wanted to play this thing. They 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 certainly will show you some thirteen, and they'll play a lot of twenty one two or twenty two. They play Andy Janovich, who's as far as you know, if we're still talking pro football focus grades, he's the best pass blocking uh, fullback mm-hmm. in the NFL right now, and he's he's the second, I think, the second highest graded running back. Uh, sorry, fullback run blocker too. So he's very good, a very effective player. They brought in from. Ball. Uh, from Denver preseason, so they'll use him too. They'll implement him, and they'll run a whole bunch of. Listen, it's not just wide zone. They've expanded it to counter. They do a dart scheme. They do a whole bunch of different things. They pull their linemen a ton, and their play action. They pull their linemen a ton. So they're they're very diverse. They are not reliant. I was very concerned when Stefanski arrived about the diversity by which they would play. Um, you know their run game, and they they've had a, a nice uh, bit of wrinkle to to challenge teams to not sit on that wide zone. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right. The other thing you mentioned was trying to get teams out of the dime and the exotic blitz looks. And that's that's been a staple of the Ravens in past years. 42.2% diamond quarter packages last year. This year, they have not had three safeties they can put on the field. I mean, they, they don't trust their third safety. They've got Elliott and Clark, and they're both quite good. But then they've got after that, no one. And they've only played 39 snaps of dime or quarter this year in 481 defensive snaps for the season. So that is not much. That can't even be right. 481. I'm looking at pass rushers. Never mind. I've got the wrong number there. 161 snaps of of diamond quarter. Still low uh, for 776. So they're under. They're barely 20% dime this year after being over 40% last year. Uh, it shows you kind of the way they've done. Chris Board is being playing a proxy uh, third safety for them and not very well so that's definitely an area where, where i'm concerned that the browns tight ends are going to are going to take over the game yeah they're unique like that those guys they 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 challenge you that if you want to do you want to bring nickel you want to bring dime or even big nickel them they can they can throw from that look and they'll challenge you and run game from that look and they'll pull they'll pull uh they'll they have no fear pulling their guard center or tackle into space and making you beat those guys and pin pull they they do like i said they do a variety of things so if they get baltimore in a look and, and stefanski prepares for it this week and they feel like hey man 
we they they really do this. They spend their first drive using a ton of different formations and a ton of different personnel groupings because they want to see how teams are going to line up so that they can then adjust. They've become very good in-game adjusting between Callahan, between Stefanski, and between Alex Van Pelt, their offensive coordinator. I'll give them kudos. They have figured out, typically have been chopping away by the third, fourth quarter. They have a great feel for who's on the field, where they're lining up, to what formations, and they're, that's why they're the leading fourth quarter rush team in the NFL. They're putting people away because they know by the time the third, fourth quarter runs around, we know what things we can do to punish these guys in personnel groupings and if we shift the strength of a formation and all of the above. So that's that's what you, you don't want to fall behind in Cleveland. That's just the formula right now. All right, outstanding. Uh, wide receiver core, let's talk a little bit about those guys. Yeah, I mean, they love Odell. They, they, they were really heartbroken when they lost him. There was a lack of chemistry that is almost unexplainable uh, between him and Baker, and it just it never manifested itself between last year and this year into the worth of the player's contract and uh, the hype that came with it. And that's just unfortunate because I think Odell's a nice guy. He's a nice player. I think he's a talented guy. But this offense doesn't necessarily require a big-name receiver. And I think some of the things that Baker did innately, pulling his eyes away, looking at Baker a bit too much, or sorry, looking at Odell a bit too much, had an impact on him. When they lost him, I hate, I hate to say that losing a player like him makes you better, but I think it can at the same time do that. Because instead of worrying about who's on the other side of where Odell is, it's just who's the read and who's there. Not who's on the other side of it, just who's the best read. And I think some of that has helped. They've got Jarvis Landry, who's dealt with injuries, cracked rib, uh, came off a hip surgery this offseason, but has just been the tough SOB that he is and plays through it and plays well. He's come on of late, been much better, creating yards after catch, doing a really nice job. They have a guy who I mentioned earlier, Rashard Higgins, has been around Cleveland into a second contract. They gave him a minimum. Listen, this guy wasn't even dressing early in the season, they they didn't even have him on the on the on the active game day roster, and now he's come on and he's produced more than Odell in a shorter span. He, he is the 2018. These two had a connection. He had 600 yards, four touchdowns. They didn't play him in 2019. People thought John Dorsey was dictating Antonio Callaway should be playing. Some other things were going on. Freddie Kitchens it was a disaster. He's back with them this year. He's finally caught on, and they love him. So he's playing a ton. The Kadero Hodge situation is one to monitor. He's their third wide receiver. Uh, he has got a hamstring issue. He's missed some segments of this season. He's played nicely when he's been involved, but not always as consistently as they would love. Uh, on the field, they just picked up Marvin Hall, who they think might be a player for them down the line. But their third receiver situation a- after Donovan Peoples-Jones is a rookie they took out of Michigan uh, who had a nice long touchdown catch last week. Uh, they're a three-wide receiver group right now, and you include Peoples-Jones. He's kind of come along. He's not as consistent as you would like. He's not as twitchy as you would love. But, you know, he can give you a double move. He can make a, he can beat you over top if you allow him to run past you if you're just fighting on comeback routes out of a two-receiver look. <laughs> he, can, he can make basic NFL plays. So they'll play him 20 snaps a game. So it's not a deep group, but they're getting production out of a, a group that's not overly talented. So, um, yeah, just kind of where they're at this, uh, this moment. All right. I know Peoples Jones, I've seen a couple of highlights of him in the past three or four weeks. So uh, it's not like he's not showing up by any stretch. And the Ravens obviously have some problems in that category. I'd probably love to have him. Uh, let's go on and talk about the running backs then while, while we're there. You mentioned the use of a fullback in Janowicz earlier, Janowicz. Uh, talk about Hunt. And in most, by most uh, analytics, I've seen Hunt having a below average EPA year while Chubb's having, of course, an extraordinary EPA year. Yeah, it's, it's, it ties to my opinion, guys. It ties to Kareem has never played in a system like this. He has never been. He's been a gun, downhill, power, counter, gap scheme runner between Toledo and Kansas City. 
This is a completely new basis of system for him. And he's a, if you remember Pete Kansas City Kareem, he's an A to B as fast as he can go guy. He'll hit a hole at extreme pace, and he'll get he'll get you what's available. Um, very tough runner. He, he will make a man miss. He will break a tackle at the point of contact. Does a nice job. That's not changed. But the difference is he's not a great wide zone runner, which takes more patience, which takes more vision, which mm-hmm. takes more anticipation. The things that Nick Chubb, I call him a two-beat-ahead runner. He's able to see things unfold almost two running steps ahead of when they happen. Kareem's not quite that guy. So sometimes he's too fast, doesn't see the bend hole. Sometimes he's too fast, doesn't see the bounce when he needs to see it. Those bang, bounce, bend things that come with this this traditional running back system. Um, Kareem's a different runner. So the thing that's nice for them and how they balance each other out is is you have Kareem come on the field and it's like, whoa, this guy's out of the backfield into my lap really quickly and it's given some teams troubles. So he's a great power counter gap guy that when they want to do that stuff and want to do some get some guys pulling out in space, he's fantastic at it and they, they know that they can be a little bit more comfortably diverse with him uh, in the backfield. So they're a nice difference of, of skill sets and they, they do a nice job of balancing it. Uh, certainly Nick is a better runner, so just a just a better overall football player. But go, both are good pr- pass protection guys. Kareem, they need to get more involved with the pass game. I think it's coming. Their screen game, listen, this is startling data. They threw 53 screens with Kirk Cousins last year. Just two weeks ago when I was tracking it, they'd only thrown 12 in the entire season this year. So it's coming. They threw mm-hmm. two big screen plays last week. Actually, take that back, three uh, over 10-yard screen plays, one for 26 that almost broke to 60. So it's coming. They're doing more screens. I think they were getting more comfortable with this and, and hiding some tendencies. So I do think we'll see a, a higher volume of screens the rest of the way. So good players can do both phases. Uh, very challenging for Baltimore with those backs. Every, everybody has uh, used screens extensively against the Ravens. The last five weeks when the Ravens have been playing good teams between the Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh games, it's very much a quarterback's trying to get the ball out of their hands quickly in various means. But uh, among those, Rivers had 14 passes, I think, completed behind the line of scrimmage. So most of those are screens passes. There's some swings and some other yeah. stuff, but it's, it's a lot of screen passes. Going back to your other point about Chubb, and I, I hate to do this, make two points on your on your one thing, but Chubb uh, kind of reminds me in terms of his patience of what Le'Veon Bell was when Le'Veon Bell was Le'Veon Bell. So yeah, that same sort of, of patient put his hand on the run on his offensive lineman's back and kind of yeah, I, I certainly see uh, where you're coming from with Le'Veon, who was patient to to build to burst, and that's how Nick is too. He he he. It sounds crazy, but he's a guy who can see almost sideline to sideline as a running back because he can see what's going on to his front side and he can see what's going on to the back side and be a couple beats ahead of a player and make a guy miss where you do, you're like, how did he see that lineman? to cut off that backside will back. It didn't even make sense. He just has that feel. And some guys do and some guys don't. And that's usually what separates the elite of the elite from guys who are just really good. So, um, you know, and Nick, and two things, man, that, that, that get lost in the shuffle with Nick. He'll make a person miss. He's a good for making one person miss a run uh, ball carrier. And that's what people talk about that. you got to make one guy miss at either the point of attack or the second level. He'll do that mm-hmm. often, and he can run. He can run away from people in open space. He's not a plotter, man. He can he can get up to some of the faster speeds in the open field when he uh, when he really lets it loose. So a really fun challenge for, for Baltimore, how they handle Nick. So we talked a little bit about, about personnel screams. One of the things that I think of the Browns doing as using quite a wide variety of different 
uh, personnel groupings among their eligible receivers. So they use some 11, but they use a lot of 21. That's why Janovich is in there a fair amount. You mentioned the amount of 12 and 13 they play. Uh, they've used a lot of sixth offensive linemen in games against the Ravens in the past. Kind of take us through that and what they what do they like to do? And I think you mentioned some of this earlier that they that they'd like to see if you can really handle 12 and 13 more than anything. Yeah, they they like to put big bodies on the field because they like I said they like dictating defensive personnel more than anything else. They think that their tight ends can block bigger guys and they think that they can beat bigger guys. So if they can get bigger guys on the field, linebackers, bigger safeties, they want to do it. That, that they find that to be advantageous. If you want to put little guys on the field to combat some of that stuff, they'll run through them. That's their theory. So they're comfortable playing Janovich. They'll play him a good amount. They'll use him in the offset eye. They'll use him in a true eye formation. He typically doesn't get out anywhere crazy. I've seen them on rare occasions keep him in in a third and 12 as a pass protection back. They did a little more of that when Nick was beat up uh, to give Kareem a break. They did that a little, but he's traditional fullback. They'll play him 14, 15 snaps a game if they're feeling like they're playing well, and it's a traditional fourth quarter closeout running game. Um, but they'll play tight ends a ton, man. They've played Harrison Bryant all over the field. Uh, they'll play they'll play two tight ends with uh, you know with a, with a fullback too. They'll play some twenty two. They'll get real crazy. They'll play one wide receiver on the field. Uh, they're they're not afraid to do any of those combinations. They'll put uh, Najoku at X on the back side. They'll put two tight ends on the front side. Uh, they'll they'll motion Harrison Bryant. Pay attention to this too. This eighty eight, the Harrison Bryant kid we're talking about, the rookie. They'll motion him into the backfield and play him at fullback. So mm-hmm. you'll think that they are not going to have a fullback. Then they'll play. They'll be lined up with two wing tight ends and motion him into them. If you watch that Donovan Peoples Jones seventy five yard touchdown, he shifts pre snap motion into the offset eye, and he's a big part of the block that springs Baker enough time to throw it downfield. So they'll do everything in those things. So I want to ask one question about the use of a tight end in the backfield, because this is something Ravens with, with Hayden Hurst did last year. Having a lesser inline blocker, and I don't know if that's what Bryant is. I don't know who in the, the Browns use primarily as their inline guy among tight ends as opposed to being split or in the backfield. But Hurst was very effective starting in the backfield in a three-back set and making a great level two or level three block because he had the the quickness to get out there, get in front of somebody, and then the size advantage there that he wouldn't have had at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, they're comfortable with him doing that and Hooper. They think those two are pretty similar. Speed, strength, point of attack. They're not grading great from a tight end perspective. I think most of the last five or six weeks they've been in the 50s. They're not, they're not maulers. They're not the Boyle type of tight end who can just beat people up at the point of attack. But... They're good enough, and they just hold blocks long enough a majority of the time to be impactful and be comfortable keeping those guys on the field. I mean, Harrison's still a he's still a rookie who's, who's not as strong as you'd like him to be quite yet, but what he is is he's smart, he's heady, he knows where to be all the time. The same with Hooper. They have no issues getting those guys lined up, and Njoku slowly trickled himself back into things as he came back from an injury. And I'm expecting one of these last four games to be a game where David has 80 yards receiving, just like he springs open and makes some plays downfield. And he did have a slot fade against you guys week one. I think he went up and made a nice play. Maybe maybe Tavon Young. I'm not sure who he went up and got that football over. Um, if I'm recalling the play, if it's the only touchdown in that game, it has to be. Then it was a board missed his assignment on the end of the line of scrimmage, and it was from the one-yard line, right? Yeah, he did have a touchdown too, but he had a, a, a catch from the slot, just a simple slot fade from like the 40-yard line. Going, okay. uh, going right to left if, from the TV angle, uh, but but you know those were the only two really big chunk passing plays. Uh, sorry, that that chunk passing play was really their only big chunk play in the passing game. It was like a 25, 30 yard catch. But yeah, they'll. I think they're going to try to find some situations where David can be a nice player for them too. So keep an eye on that. Okay, we'll roll it over to the defensive side here. We, great stuff on the offense, by the way, Jake. We so appreciate having you on for this. I, I always like to start with what's the most common. 
uh, base defensive look that they'll, they'll, that they'll look to use on a first and 10, especially against a team that they think will run the football some? And then what's their basic pass defense as well? They're a cover three by nature. The, the, Joe Woods comes from cover three background. He likes to run cover three. Anderson Dejo's their single high safety. They'll play him. Um, they, their base defense look is a 4-3, traditional stuff. Uh, they like to be aggressive with their linebackers. They try to get those guys going downhill as best they can. We'll talk about their linebacker personnel. But typical base 4-3 where they like to play cover three, they like to roll their strong safeties down. Now they've lost Ronnie Harrison, who was a trade they made preseason from Jacksonville. They liked what he was doing, was coming on strong. So they'll play Carl Joseph, who they brought in from Oakland, who will roll down and play a little bit more of that uh, hook zone type stuff to, to rob and the cover three look. But yeah, that's the basis of what they are. They'll play some two, play some four, but a majority of what they like to do is cover three based odd coverage stuff. So obviously banged up safe secondary we're talking about. Maybe we start there. Carl Joseph now is, is uh, he had not been playing the entire season. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. And then uh, they have Sendejo on the backhand as their other safety. What are, is there another dime safety who's getting time? Yeah, it, listen, they've had so many injuries back there, it's been a mess. So they will play a kid named Sheldrick Redwine, who they took in, in 2019 in the fourth round. They will play him uh, occasionally in two-eye safety looks and bring down a bigger nickel safety down like Joseph or Harrison. Before Harrison was hurt, he was doing it. They will play those two deep and play a, a Joseph or a Harrison in the box, run support, man-to-man situations where they want to man a tight end. They'll use that guy too. So that's what they've done a little bit of now. They're they're beat up. They've lost Denzel. I don't know if Denzel's playing this weekend. He's I, this is Today was the first I've heard that he's even hopeful to play this weekend. Hmm. Uh, he's dealing with the same calf strain issue that, that – uh, Came unexpectedly after the Eagles game. He had a, he just popped up on Instagram. He had a calf strain. So I don't know if he plays. If he doesn't, they'll continue playing a young man, uh, Kevin Johnson, who has bounced around the league a little bit. Texans, Bills, who's a former first-round pick, has done a pretty nice job for them. He'll play an outside corner opposite of Terrence Mitchell, who started in place of Greedy all year. They, they last week, because uh, Sheldrick Redwine came back, they played more Redwine, Sandejo, and, and Joseph. They played him as their sort of nickel box safety that sort of deal. They did not want to play. They play a young guy who played week one named Tavier Thomas, who's a special teams guy only. If he's on the field, he gets picked on. Just put it point mm-hmm. blank. If he has to play 20, 25 snaps, it's a problem. Um, so they're trying to do more. If Redwine is good to go again, which it seems he will be, you'll see in those heavy defensive back usage system setup, they'll see, uh, you'll see Joseph playing more in the box. Yeah, I think he had 20 box snaps. One is a, or sorry, 20 is a, a second-level defender there approaching the box. He had a couple uh, on the in-man line of scrimmage creeping up and simulated pressure looks, and then he had one or two in the slot too. So he'll play a forward, uh, uh, that forward. It's kind of just become a hybrid because they're sh- so short-handed that, that that's become a safety-nickel hybrid deal for them. They've tried to just piece it together as best they can. But, yeah, that's that's the group of what they're looking at there. Okay, so who's got the green dot now? It is a guy named B.J. Goodson. He's been around okay. uh, this year playing. He's he's done well for them. He's the of guys who play the green dot. Twenty two players have qualified with eighty percent of I believe eight hundred and seventy seven snaps in Pro Football Focus. He's the eleventh highest graded uh, traditional Mike backer there in those situations. He's hmm. done a nice job. Been a nice surprise for them after stints with New York and Green Bay were disappointing. So he's done well for them. Yeah, he's their Mike. 
Okay, looking looking at the snap counts, I thought it had to be either him or Sandejo, and that really would have been a a hard pill to swallow if Sandejo was the was the <laughs> green dot as well. Is this uh, the Ravens have the green dot, of course, with Chuck Clark, and that's been wonderful for them to be able to manipulate their inside linebacker group. So it sounds like Goodson will have to be on the field for every play. Did they stay with a second inside linebacker even on most passing downs, or are they really a committed dime team at this point, where if it's third and five or more, say that they're looking to put a safety a third safety on the field? They're, they're so beat up back there, they have to play a second backer. They will bring in a guy named that Malcolm Smith, who I mentioned earlier, who's done. Mm-hmm. Listen, Mac, Mac Wilson has an injury in the preseason. He uh, hyperextends his knee, forces them to bring in a linebacker. They bring in Smith, and he's been a really nice player for them, a, a veteran who I don't think any of us expected to even make the team. He makes the team. He's the 10th highest graded linebacker of, I think, 50% of the total coverage snaps. He's the 10th highest grade in coverage of all linebackers in the NFL this year. He's He's a very good feel for coverage and when they go into situations where it's third and pass or second and long they they know they want him on the field and he does a nice job covering in zone he has a good feel for it if if he has to play man with backs who sneak out of the backfield done a nice job there too so they like him a lot they will play him they don't play him every down they split time with him and mac wilson but they will put him on the field in those situations so you to answer your question yeah two linebackers almost all the time okay so ravens are in that position now too malcolm smith sounds like by down and distance he's not going to be in very very often where he might bite on play action because there's play act those are not play action downs Correct, not, mu- not much, but but the other linebackers, how have they been in terms of biting on on play action, whether it's Taki Taki or Goodson? I would try to get the Browns in the three linebacker looks and have and have so when they are base looked or even situations where they do bring in a nickel or bump Joseph down and bring Sheldrick Redwine to the back back half of the defense, they'll keep Mac Wilson on the field in any neutral situation. The young linebackers come back earlier part of this season and. Uh, not very disciplined. Uh, the, I think Goodson's been okay. Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki, who's their Sam, you can manipulate those guys with play action. Uh, if if you watch some early season Takitaki stuff when they were trying to fit him onto the field as a will, uh, Dak Prescott embarrassed him for about 120 yards when they played the Cowboys. When he was healthy, Dak was real. And they just they took two drives down the field where they just embarrassed him in space. So the Browns have said, hey, man, we're going to put Sione on the edge. He's going to hold down an edge, and he's going to take on fullbacks, pulling guards, tight ends and be a downhill running player. So they get him off the field in any sort of situation they feel like mm-hmm. it's going to be a pass. They yank him. Uh, but Mac is a guy you can manipulate. If you can get Sione on first down situations where he's maybe responsible for Ricard coming out of the backfield uh, or some sort of situation where he has to cover some sort of deception, he can be taken advantage of for sure. Okay, very interesting. Now, you got one other guy on the roster who I was really interested in at draft time. Obviously, he hasn't played a huge role this year, but Jacob Phillips. First of all, is he still, is he still active? I see he's played six games. I wonder if he's hurt now. No, he's come back the last few weeks. He's played minimal snaps. What I think they're trying to do is groom him slowly for the role B.J. Goodson has. I think there's an interest in B.J. playing that position next year on another one-year deal, but he is kind of slowly working himself in maybe 18, 19, 20 snaps a game, sometimes less depending on the neutrality of the game and where they're at situationally. I mean, when you're up 38-7 on Tennessee, you can do some funky things on defense and feel okay. But yeah, they're slowly bringing him along. He dealt with a, I think I think it was after actually week one, he had a couple decent little plays against Baltimore that he had a knee injury in that game that cost him the next few, and he came back, and then he had another uh, lower body injury that cost him some time too. So yeah, it's been... It's been frustrating for fans because we did expect him to be a bigger part of uh, a bigger part of things, but he's slowly coming along, and they, they luckily have been able to to piece these two veterans, Woodson and and, and Smith, and, and help them kind of bring this linebacker group along. 
Jacob Phillips was a guy who played next to Patrick Queen at LSU and was a guy that I kind of liked as a value for round guy. The, they ended up getting him in the fourth or fifth round when they get him. They got him in the fourth. I, I, yeah. They might have even got him. They had two third round picks. Actually, I think they got him in the third. I don't, it's all a blur. They got they got him in the late third or early fourth. Um, but yeah, it, it, he's a young guy. He's only twenty one. He's very young. They think that they can. By the time his rookie deal gets close to to finishing, they think he can be a contributor for them. Okay, I see. They got him at number ninety seven. Here is is uh, is where I got it. So it's the end of the third round. Uh, yeah. Guy, I, I certainly liked for value, and and I'm I'm very much of a of a belief that you don't. You go after platoon inside linebackers. Don't try and find three down unicorns. I don't think they get value out of that, and I don't think you get a lot of second contract value out of those guys. Uh, I'm just I'm 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 a complete believer in platooning at linebacker. And it sounds like the Browns have adopted a lot of that this year in terms of really having some specialists. Yeah, they obviously had, had a big decision looming heading into 2020 with Joe Schobert's contract and trying to maybe bring him back. He goes to Jacksonville, I think, for five and forty eight, and has had a really bad year. For, I'm a I love Joe, nice guy, great person. Uh, great player for the Browns during his tenure, but you just can't. We, I don't see this group ever paying a linebacker that way. I think you're mm-hmm. right about the platooning situation. They view the, the 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 linebacker position as the running back of the of the of the defense, where yep. they're going to try to always always be as frugal as they possibly can, unless you said like they find a rare rare unicorn type of guy that they feel like they just can't let go, which is kind of what they're talking about with Nick on the other side at running back. But yeah, they're going to always try to be cheap piece together mid to late round picks and see if they can kind of make it work that way. You have to have somewhere. You have to have somewhere because the the easy decision about being a general manager is I want to pay this guy and I want to pay this guy and I want to pay this guy because these are my stars. The hard part is saying I need to hold the line at these two positions, whether it's tight end and inside linebacker or safety and running back or whatever it's going to be. I'm going to, I'm going to not spend there and that's going to give me the cap dollars I have at other positions. And you, you can spend everywhere when you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. Then he's not anymore. Yeah, and, you know, exactly. Baker and, and, uh, and Lamar are about to both graduate into that category and the Ravens have, and, and, the, and the Browns for that matter, are both going to have uh, some belt tightening to do to make that work. Yeah, they've laid their groundwork for what they view as important on offense and defense. As they head into Denzel, they got Miles, they have Baker. We're going to see it's going to it's a little muddy. Uh, what they're going to do offensively? Are they going to go cheap at wide receiver moving forward because they think they can get by that way? So some things to clear up there. But yeah, there's going to have to be they're going to have to draw the line hard. They've done it at linebacker. Where do they go offensively to draw that line? It's to me, it looks like wide receiver, but we'll keep we'll keep our eye on it. All right. Great stuff. Go to the, let's go to the defensive line here. Talk about, you know, position by position, the group that really beat the Ravens up pretty badly in week one. Yeah, so defensive line, uh, you know Miles Garrett. I, I think he's playing the best football of any defensive lineman in the NFL this year, including interior Aaron Donald. I just, he, he is so difficult to block. You, you have to get two people on him as often as you can get two people on him. I think he's as good as they come in the NFL. I think if you look at a guy like Brandon Thorne, who I really respect on Twitter, who does his own data analysis of sacks, he's got, he's got, I think he's got ten high quality sacks on the season, which is rare and very few cleanup sacks, cheap plays. He's he's good on both sides, so um, he should be he should continue to be a really good threat the rest of the way. Somebody that Baltimore will have to get two or three people onto as often as they can. Larry Ogunjobi, we talked about him earlier, a bit inconsistent. They would like him to be a more consistent football player for them. He has not been as consistent as they hope, but he'll have a flash play every now and again. Sheldon Richardson, nice addition for them last year, has been even better this year, pressuring the quarterback, moves all across the defensive line in terms of if they need somebody to play end, he's willing to do it. whole bunch of different things there. So I think he'll do a nice job for them, um, continue to do a nice job for them, and he's their most consistent both phases 
uh, interior defense lineman. Jacob Phillips, or sorry, not Jacob Phillips, Jordan Elliott will rotate in and play a little for them, the rookie out of Missouri, uh, coming along a little bit. But he'll, he'll be their third defensive tackle. And then Olivier Vernon is their opposite side, uh, you know, the Miles' strong side end who will be a, an edge-setting type. He had a really nice showing when Miles was out, had a three-sack game against Philadelphia where he created a safety. He's a threat. You have to play a bull rush guy who can speed to power, a nice player in both phases, who uh, who's just a really nice secondary rusher. And their third rusher as an edge is uh, Adrian Claiborne, who aging veteran, but if you don't block him and you take a snap or two off, you'll end up with two sacks in the game, so you got to take him serious because he's still a bull, man. He is a strong guy, and occasionally, if they get, uh, they got Porter Gustin off the COVID-19 list, a guy from USC who's just kind of been a nice 15, maybe 5, 10 snaps a game defensive end rusher. So, some really big names in there that they're going to have to account for, but Baltimore, you know, they challenge the entire defensive line, as you know. Well, the defensive line, obviously, the strength of the of the Browns' defense, and and very talented all the way across. The Ravens' offensive line now is is I wouldn't not, not call it in shambles because they really found themselves, I think, against Dallas in a very favorable situation. Did a lot of things well. They seem to have four positions locked down, but right tackle they've got a lot of problems right now. And you know, Miles Garrett normally lines up at right defensive end, opposite the left tackle. Has there been any? Uh, have they taken any opportunity to get him move to the other side, or is it only a function of where the tight end is? No, he'll go anywhere. They'll put him at three tech. They'll they'll move him all across the board. Uh, they they like him traditionally over the left tackle, but I've seen him rush from every different position this year. He'll move around about five ten snaps a game and uh, create some havoc uh, inside. He had another he had a nice pressure from the three tech in a pass third and pass situation. Uh, last week he'll do he'll do it it's just they, they got to account for him all the time and they just sometimes it's hey we're just going to move him just to move him and and that's uh that's what they like to do to try to create they think there's a weakness on the other side of the line hey man let's go after it let's just put him out there and see what he can do because he's just naturally talented enough fast enough powerful enough to, to find a guy's weakness well the ravens have kind of held it together on the offensive line as well as they could they've got a lot of depth they got a piece lost today in will holden that was a we think was actually a pretty significant loss as a backup tackle but uh anyway worth worth mentioning that uh they're going to be severely tested against this browns line which which already won the line of scrimmage pretty badly in week one take us to the secondary a little bit and and who's left out there for the browns uh corner to corner yeah, so we, I mean, they're still, they're, they're trying to figure out whether Denzel's playing. I think that, like I said earlier, today is the first day we felt like he might play. If he doesn't, it'll be Kevin Johnson outside. It'll be it'll be uh, Terrence Mitchell on the other side. Terrence Mitchell's been fine, just a, just a dependable player. He'll get beat a couple times a game. Whether quarterback sees him or not kind of determines whether a big play happens. He's beat a couple times a game, but a solid player who didn't expect, they didn't expect to be a full-time starter for them again this year, but Greedy's injury issue there. But when Denzel's playing, he's very good, and, and he's always he's always been very good against the John Brown types or Hollywood Brown types, those guys who are smaller, faster burner types, mm-hmm. the John Jacksons of the world. He's been good against those guys. It's the A.J. Brown's D.K. Metcalfs he struggles with because he's not a big guy. So it would be nice for the Browns to have him to shut down the one of the biggest wide receiver threats that, that Baltimore has, but we'll see whether that pans out. But Kevin Johnson will be opposite outside. If Denzel's back, he'll bump inside, play nickel when they go true nickel. Uh, but if not, then he'll stay outside. They'll bring down uh, Carl Joseph. They'll play Sheldrick Redwine, who I mentioned earlier, the the, the Miami product, fourth-round pick 2019. He's, he's a young player who's still learning. They didn't play him much this year early. They've been forced to play him more. He's a liability back there sometimes. The same with Sandejo. It's listen. Here's this is what I've said all year, and I don't know if there's time for this, but I'll just give you my spiel about the Browns defense. They're average everywhere. They're almost average everywhere, except for a few specific positions. Miles, 
Olivier can be a nice player every now and again. Sheldon Richardson can be a nice player every now and again. And Denzel's obviously a playmaker. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of average guys playing defense. They won't do anything above the expected. If there's a play in front of them to make, they'll make it. If there's a if there's if there's somebody that needs chase down from the backside, from sideline to sideline, you just won't probably see it. They're just average, and sometimes those average players get out of position. Sandejo's not fast enough to cover enough ground to cover, you know, C D Lamb, or he's not fast enough to cover any type of weird situation that arrives. So, you know, tight ends have been effective against them this year. Uh, they they have not been able to cover tight ends well. Uh, because teams have hurt them with play action using those tight ends. So, listen, my theory on the Browns, they just do enough. They just do enough, and they, they, the enough comes from Miles creating strip sacks, creating third and long situations, Denzel making a play on the football. They get a strip play. They've been very pesky creating turnovers, and that has helped them jump out in front of teams. And when they've done that, they've yielded a lot of They haven't. If you look at their point differential, they don't win games by a ton because no. they don't close well because they don't know how to. They're not good enough with the Jimmys and Joes to just get by closing these games out. Teams jump back in the game, as you saw last week. Tennessee jumps back in the game. Um, but So they just try to get out in front and let their offense close the game as much as they possibly can. And right now, before I think this offseason, they're going to invest heavily in improving their secondary uh, and improving some other weaknesses on the defense. They're just trying to get by. They're just trying to create enough turnovers, get three or four punts a game, and then let their offense kind of cruise out and get out in front and manipulate the clock at the end of games with that run game. Yeah. So minus 15 points still uh, net for the Browns this year. So, uh, you know, not 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 typical of a 9-3 and three team, I think we would say, no. yeah, that kind of a differential. <laughs> so uh, how have they handled speed so far this year? How, who have they faced that's really had a lot of speed? They, they did not play Kansas City. So no. I mean, the best receiver group they played was Dallas, and they created turnovers against Dallas early uh, early in the game that created – I mean, they went up 30 – just like Tennessee when they were up 38-7, I think that they were up 30-35-7, something. They were way out in front on Dallas early too and gave up a bunch of throws late in the game. So, you know, they're, they're, they'll get out on people because they do some things well, but, but then they have to rely on their defense to sit in and make plays, and they don't cover speed well. I mean, if, if you have a guy who can challenge the deep portion of the field, A.J. Brown had a deep post catch uh, last week. And I know A.J.'s not the biggest burner, but he's a big guy, but he can run. If you can, you can put people in space against the secondary, uh, especially a guy like Hollywood, man, who can, who can really threaten the deep portion of the field. Sandejo is, is a single high guy, is not rangy. Uh, Terrence Mitchell is not a burner at corner. Uh, Kevin Johnson, a decent speed guy, but not, not great. If you can put their safeties in play-action situations where you can run a guy up a seam or run a guy on a double move, a post-corner, a PCP, some of those different things, you can really challenge this group. So I have not seen teams throw deep on them enough, if I'm being honest. I think that, that if I was Baltimore and I was watching, I'd say, how can we challenge the third level of the Browns' defense? Yeah, I, I think I think we'll see some of that. We did see it in Week 1 a little bit. I, I, one of the really nice throws... Yep. Two of the really nice throws that Lamar's made this year. One uh, on that deep cross all the way to the left sideline to Hollywood. And the other one on the touchdown pass to Andrews, the kind of uh, left corner of the end zone also. Hasn't threatened that that part of the field as much this year. Definitely has a predilection to throw right. But uh, I, I'm in agreement with you. I think you have to start with that. The other thing I think for the Ravens is they got to have all their chips in the pot in this game. And we're going to see Lamar running the ball a lot more this game i think that you there's just there's no tomorrow if they lose this game that the leverage i've seen quoted is either 56 or 59 percent meaning 
they're about 85% to make the playoffs if they if they win it and 26% or something if they don't. So it's an enormous amount of leverage on this game for the Ravens in terms of making the playoffs. And uh, and they're going to they're going to have to be all in on this game in terms of risk to Lamar even uh being included with that. I, I oh go ahead. I don't know if you had a question there. No, I, I the next question if you want to respond to that first and then I'll ask the next question. Yeah, no, I think their backs are against the wall, and I think they'll do everything they can. This is this is as big a game for Baltimore season, and, and Cleveland and Cleveland too. They know that they. I mean, listen, it sounds crazy still, but they think they have a shot at the division. But you know, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh still has Buffalo. They still have the Colts. They've got some challenging games left, and if both teams come in at twelve and three at the end of the year, they think at home week seventeen they can beat Pittsburgh and win the oh, division. Sure. So they're they're certainly playing this game the same. But it it it, it it's fascinating to me how each team's kind of empty the clip here in terms of what they do, creativity, trick plays. Uh, different things that maybe they aren't expecting. So yeah, that that's what I'm expecting is kind of how do both teams push their chips in in this really important game? Yeah, the Browns have had a little little longer here to get some of that extra playbook pages in this week's plan too. So that uh, that should uh, help get that uh, out there for them. Is there a single player you think matches up extremely well against the Ravens? Well, that's a good question. Um, on and either easy, side, is that what we're saying? Yeah, here? the easy answer is Miles Garrett because he yes. he matches up well against anybody. But give us a player maybe that that isn't the best player who really matches up well against the Ravens. I I, I really think that they could see Olivier Vernon give him some fits. Uh, I think he's come on. He's finally healthy. I think that's a big portion of why he's found a lot of success the last six weeks. Finally healthy. They'll move him around the line a little bit too. I think he'll have a nice effort. I do think that they're going to have a nice run game. I just I think that the game got so out of hand week one where I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but I think it was, was it 14-6 or 17-6 Cleveland's driving, Odell drops the football, they miss a field goal, Baltimore scores before half, and it's 24-6. I think it was something like that. I think it was like a really weird swing where Cleveland was driving before half to score, they end up dropping a third down throw, and it ends up 24-6 or... 24-7. But what I was saying is they were moving the ball okay and, and, and really creating some opportunities off of play action in Baker Mayfield's first creative uh, situation where he had to create off play action and they were running the ball okay. And Nick Chubb had a couple nice runs there too. Yep. This is this is what I feel. And I, I'm sorry I don't have really a specific player because it's every week it's something different from the Browns. I think the Browns are going to really try to run the football like crazy. I think that their running backs I think are going to have a nice game. I, I envision them running the football pretty well. It's how well does Baltimore handle when Baker throws off a of play action. If you can find a way to eliminate Baker in neutral situations, run past neutrality situations, not hurting you, you can have a really good opportunity to beat the Browns. And I think this game depends largely on who plays from in front. I think it'll be so vital who gets out early because I, I said it last year when you guys were dominating and, and you've dominated portions of this year too, it's it's... It's you don't want to fall behind Baltimore. You can't right. fall behind them. You just can't. And Cleveland's the same way. The way they run the football, the way they manipulate the clock, you can't fall behind Cleveland. So, like, is there any more important a first quarter in the entire season for either of these teams? Probably not. This is going to be fascinating to track it. Yeah, I, I agree. The first the first half has been where Lamar is usually sprinted out to a to a lead, and then he's almost undefeatable at that point. But you're right. In the first week, it was it, the Ravens scored twice in the final three minutes. So they scored at two fifty three to go. Then the Browns got the ball, and I think you've got the circumstances right that they gave it up on a what should have been a third down completion that was dropped. And then yep. Andrews scored with six seconds left in the at the yep. end of the half there. Yep, uh, and it was all of a sudden over at that point. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay, well, Jake, we've so appreciated this. Great conversation. Ran over, and I don't think we care at all because we love to have uh, really great guests on the show who know their stuff about the opponent, and you fit the bill exactly. Tell folks where they can find your work, your Twitter handle, any other plugs you want to handle. And I think people would love to get a follow on a good, you know, measured handle from an opposing team, measured Twitter handle from an opposing team. <laughs> Yeah, I am a fan. I mean, by nature, I'm a fan, but I really try to be as as uh, as objective about this whole thing and analysis based stuff. It's it's hard, you know. You take up a fan fandom that you love, and you got to try to be balanced with them. And some fans don't love that. You know how passionate these fan bases get. They don't like that. But anyway, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns eighteen. That's my usual handle. And then we have a a, a handle I've done for all my film room stuff. I post. It's at the OBR. It's at OBR film. BDN kind of can't fit everything in these Twitter handles. So at OBR film and then BDN short for breakdown. So I post a ton of clips weekly there. If you're interested, you just like to talk football, that kind of stuff is always fun. So I'm always looking for film room guys to follow myself. I know we've come across each other through the film room stuff too. So uh, this is fun. This is always great. And I always love talking about these AFC North games. And I'm just excited that my team is actually involved in something that matters, guys. So it's, it's good stuff. Uh, it's great, great to have you on, Jake. Uh, Josh, what do we need to tell folks? Uh, make sure you're going over to Film Study Baltimore. We had a full week of shows come out this week, so plenty of stuff to get you ready. Uh, if you haven't listened to all the podcasts yet, you can fill up your Monday as you prepare for the game by listening to the offensive breakdown, the defensive breakdown, the situation room. Uh, by the numbers, and of course, you just finished listening to uh, Know Your Foe. Know Your Foe. Yeah. So, full week of shows continues. Wonderful, wonderful to have you on. We're working on a new feature for the website too, in terms of having a gallery from a very talented guy uh, who's approached us with some with some wonderful uh, individual graphics, and we'll have that up. I hope in the next couple of weeks, right, Josh? Uh, it should. It may be up when this episode's out. Wouldn't so. that be cool? It'll, uh, if not, shortly after. So. Jake, thanks again for joining us. We can't thank you enough. Just great stuff. Genuinely my pleasure, guys. Enjoy Monday night. All right. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.